Good morning to you all. So good to see you in the house of the Lord today, and we look look forward to a good time in the Word of God, and uh, we can see what God would have for us this week. I don't think it's really a, a astounding kind of observation, but many of us work in pretty challenging arenas, don't we? Uh, we may not think of it like that at first, but we are in some pretty tough spots. And one of the toughest spots of all is where we work, is where we work. Uh, I'm supposing that many of us here in this room uh, have worked, are working, and uh, will continue to work <laughs> as long as we can. And so this is something that uh, applies to all of us here. Uh, today we'll start a new series of messages from the book of Daniel. Uh, we will not go through the entire book of Daniel, but we will go through the first few chapters and uh, basically see how a believer will uh, handle the problems that come in his arena or specifically in his workplace. Uh, when we say that there are problems in the workplace, uh, it's not just the economics or anything like that that we have in mind, but it's that constant pressure to compromise and to conform uh, to the philosophy and practices of the world which, by the way, probably are really against the will and the way of God. Not always, but many times they are. At times we can feel the immense pressure to compromise and give in to living according to the standard of the world, which sometimes calls us to really think hard about ethical questions, moral questions, and motivations and behaviors. And so these things cause us a lot of pressure. We're confronted and we are challenged to uh, live according to a standard that promotes uh, uh, several different thinkings. Like, for example, these may sound familiar to you. A standard that says the ends justify the means. Okay? So whatever the goal is at the end, we can use any means to get at it. And then there's a standard whose mantra is winning is everything, but ultimately it should be changed to winning is the only thing. That's the world for you, you see? And as they look at things from where they sit, this should be the main uh, uh, operating principle. It's a standard that flies the flag that says above anyone else, watch out for number one. Watch out for number one. It doesn't matter about your coworkers. It doesn't matter about the company or the vision or all this other stuff. But the main thing is to watch out for yourself. It's a standard that condones that it's okay to sacrifice those ahead of you on the way up the ladder. That it's okay to sacrifice those on your way up the ladder. And we can go on and on and on. But you get the point. The standard of the world really presents itself with many challenges to the believer. The believer has to, as they work, they have to ask themselves and answer serious questions, such as, how can we be the salt of the earth? In other words, attracting people to Christ if we've lost our saltiness. If people can turn around and say, ah, you're a hypocrite. You know, you say one thing, but then you do another. Yeah, you know, see, game over. And so how can we uh, be the light of the world when darkness seems to swallow up our hearts? That's a good question. That's a good question, you see. And then questions like, how can a child of God ever hope to change the world if the world is forever changing the child of God? (laughs) You know, we have to ask ourselves, who is impacting who? 
you see? And so if we're at work and we're being challenged and we're giving up and we're giving in, we discover that we are being changed instead of us changing the world, right? And so these are the kinds of challenges that face us. Well, if you find yourself down and discouraged over the battle for your mind and heart, there is encouragement and hope. And that comes from God's word. If we study, when we study the life of Daniel, hopefully we'll see how one follower of God dared to go against a godless system and he prevailed. And he prevailed. Uh, I said this to the first uh, congregation. I said to them, this is a story where the good guys win. The good guys win. All right. And they win in a big way. And this offers hope and encouragement to each of us as we battle away in our arenas, especially where we work. So let's get into this. Let's turn to Daniel chapter one, please. Daniel chapter one. And before we do this, we better get into some understanding of the context in which all of this happens. This happens about 605 B.C., 600 years before Christ comes on the scene. And Jerusalem is conquered and captured by the Babylonians. Who are the Babylonians? The Babylonians are the modern-day people of Iraq or that particular geographic area, okay? And so uh, they, they, they ventured forth and they conquered and captured Jerusalem. Daniel was approximately about 15 years old. And he was part of the noble family. And so he was literally taken captive by the Babylonians and he was shipped off to Babylon. <laughs> he was shipped off to Babylon. Well, why did they do that? See, the Babylonians were very wise. And so as they built their empire... As they conquered peoples, they would take choice people from the people they had conquered, take them back to Babylon, train them, indoctrinate them, convert them to be Babylonians so that they can in turn help administrate to help deal with the people that were conquered. And that's exactly what was happening here. Now, by God's grace, it's estimated that Daniel served in in public service for the Babylonians approximately 85 years. 85, that's a long time. I mean, how many of us here in this building, if we worked for the Singapore government, how many of us would say 20 years is long enough? How many of us would say 30 years is long enough? How many of us would say 40 years is long enough? Probably very few of us would say 80 years and that's it, all right? But he did 85 years of this. That was just truly amazing. But what was even more amazing was that instead of being turned away from God, he was able to successfully exalt God by his steadfastness for God, godly character, and exemplary service. And that's a really, that's a really great tribute. How many of us would say that when we're <laughs> when we're gone, that on the, our urn or on our gravestone, there would be etched in there, steadfast for God, Godly character and uh, exemplary service. How many of us could say that? You see, that would be quite a, 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 a commentary on one's life. And that's what you could say about Daniel. The history books tell us that he rose to be a statesman of, by official appointment. He served as a confidant to the kings as well as a prophet to the Babylonians and Medo-Persian empires. Wow. Each title just got more and more important. But he was able to accomplish all of that. Now, what does this have to do with your situation and mine? 
We would say to ourselves, well, I, I probably won't be a confidant to a king. I, I probably won't rise to the position of being a prophet, you know, or, or anything like that. But what it does say to us is the world tells us that success in the world is all about us. It's all about us. It's all about our shrewdness. It's all about our cleverness. It's all about our intellect. And for sure, it's all about our abilities and capabilities. But when you look at Daniel's life, you see all of these things, but you realize that there was much more. There is much more to this. God's plan involved much more. And so I hope in the coming weeks, when you join us together and we open God's word together and we trust the Holy Spirit to speak to us, that God will reveal to us what it is that he wants us to know and to have in the places that we work, especially when we are challenged, when we are challenged. How are we to respond? And so God will hopefully reveal that to us through his word in these coming weeks. So let's get into it. Daniel chapter 1, and we'll start with verses 1 to 7. And this is Daniel's relocation. Daniel's relocation, as you can imagine, was not an easy one. He endured several shocks to his system. All right? Like what? For example, in verses 1 to 2, there was the captivity shock. There was a captivity shock. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Jerusalem was conquered and it was captured. The precious vessels of the temple were literally taken and lifted and hauled back to Babylon and installed in the idol worship places of the, of the idols and gods of Babylon. How did this all happen? Well, for 500 years, Judah had been rejecting God. Year after year, God would send kings, he would send prophets with all the same message. Turn away from your idols and turn back to God. Finally, instead of choosing God, they chose idols. And after numerous warnings to turn back, God allowed Judah to be conquered and put into captivity by the Babylonians. That's how this captivity started. So imagine, if you will, 15-year-old teenager... He wakes up in the morning. Ah, the sun is shining. There's food on the table. There's plenty of clothes on my back. I wonder what I'm going to do today. And suddenly his whole world is turned upside down as the armies of Babylon marched in and began to take everything that they wanted. And this was the captivity shock. But in verses 3 and 4, there's also a culture shock. A culture shock. Look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability to, for serving in the king's court and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. 
There was this culture shock. Daniel and his fellow captors were to be immersed in the Babylonian culture. They were the best of the best. They were not only good looking, they were smart. They had beauty. They had brains. They had all everything that the world desires. And they were re- taken to Babylon to serve the king. They were going to be trained up in the literature and language, the culture of the Babylonians. And they were being put into the process of being transformed into Babylonians, if you will. But it didn't stop there. The shocks continued because there was one more, and that was an identity shock. Verses 5 to 7. In verses 5 to 7, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Identity shock. They were given, first of all, the best of the the Babylonians had to offer in terms of education, also food, drink, and so forth. And they were given the best positions, if you are. Boy, it almost sounds like a, a recruitment drive for some companies, right? Where they wine you and dine you and they promise you all these good things, you know. And if you decide you want to get an MBA, we'll pay for it. You know, just come service for 29 years, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So on and so forth. That's what was happening to these, uh, to these uh, Hebrew children. And they were, but the catch-all is the, the verses 6 and 7. They were given Babylonian names. Now, at first you say to yourself, what's in a name? What's in a name? What's the big deal about a name? Okay? And so it is a big deal. Because in the names was reflected their hopes and dreams of their parents, of who they would be as they relate to God. And so, for example, Daniel's name went from God is my judge to Belshazzar, meaning Bel protects the king. Baal was one of the gods of the Babylonian. Hananiah went from the Lord is gracious to Shadrach, meaning command of Aku. Aku was an idol of the Babylonians, you see. So he's at the command of the uh, god Aku. Mishael went from who is like the Lord to Meshach, who is what Aku is. And then the last one, Azariah went from the Lord is my helper to Abednego, servant of Nego, a god of, uh, of Babylon. You see, so the identity and loyalty of the each Hebrew person was being challenged. It was being changed, okay? So suddenly their identities were being changed from a Jewish identity to a Babylonian one. Now, the world system is constantly trying to get us to see things their way to leave our love and loyalty to God for its gods. Who are the gods of this world? Who are the gods of this world? Well, it could be me, myself, and I. (laughs) That about fills it up. That about includes uh, everything you want to have. 
That's the God of this world, little g, the gods of this world. What about the idols of this world? What are the idols of this world? The idols that we that the world wants you to worship would be um, uh, the want power, position, and possessions. Those are the idols that the world wants you and I to worship and to bow down to. And then, so the idea is to get us to forget and to abandon our identity in Christ. But we must not let that happen. We must not let that happen. We must be wise to the way the world is luring us. The world is seeking to entrap us. That's what they do. That's what it does. When I was back in Texas, we had a, a, a new graduate who had their first job. And there's nothing more fun than watching a new grad with his job, okay? He finally has money, <laughs> and it's his own money, you know. And he sees the world very different than when he was a student and, and when he was an intern, let's say. And so suddenly now he's a full-fledged working adult, tax-paying adult, Okay. And so I went to him after the first week of his job. I said, how's it going, man? I heard that you just had your first job, and, you know, you must be just uh, enjoying it to no end. And then suddenly his smile turned to a frown. He says, Pastor, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this place. He said, you should see all the shenanigans that are going on. He says, I watch the way people treat each other. I see and watch, you know, how, how the, uh, you know, this happens and that happens. Man, I said, you know, it's, 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 it's dangerous place, pastor. <laughs> you know, and I said, wow. I wanted to say to him, welcome to the real world, you see. But suddenly this is all finally dawned on him. And then he says, he says, and get this, pastor, get this. I went to one of my coworkers who had been there for a while. And I said, what can I do to adjust? You know what he said to me? I said, no, what did he say to you? He says, get used to it. That is the way it is around here. Get used to it. That's the way it is around here. Go along and get along. You see, that's the mantra. That's what's scribbled in the bathrooms. Go along and get along, you know. And that's what people want. You see, the world wants us to do that. Now, there may be some of you who are out there right now. And you're saying to yourself, yep, that describes my situation. That describes where I worked or where I'm working now or where I might be working in the future. So when I'm going to be forced and when I'm going to feel that pressure to conform and to compromise, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You see, well, God has an answer to that in the life of Daniel. In these early days of their relocation, Daniel and his fellow captors encountered all kinds of shocks. Designed to change their loyalties and their identities, okay? And so we, as believers, cannot forget our identity in Christ. We belong to Christ. We belong to God. Well, this, this, all, all this uh, relocation then brings us to the second part, and that's Daniel's resolve in verses 8 through 16. Daniel's success involves something more uh, 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 more as his, his convictions were being challenged, okay? So read verse 8, will you please? This is Daniel's resolve. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And it says in this verse, it says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. 
The key words there are Daniel made up his mind. That was his resolve. But why did he feel so strongly that he had to make this commitment? Why did he have to resolve to be this way? Why didn't he just give up and give in? You know, why not? You know, wouldn't have made life a whole lot easier, right? Well, you got to remember that uh, Daniel grew up during the time of King Josiah. Who was King Josiah? King Josiah was one of the good kings of Judah. And what he did was that he tried to turn the nation back to God. He reestablished the prime, prime uh, the supremacy of God's word. He wanted the people to turn from their idols and go back to God. So as Daniel grew up, Daniel knew the dietary laws that God had prescribed. He knew what was permitted to eat and what was not permitted to eat. And when he saw the menu that was given to him for his next meal, he says, I can't eat this stuff. It's delicious. Yes, the price is right. It's free. You know, all of this is great. He says, as good as this is, I cannot eat this. These are prohibited by God. I will not defile myself. He knew what was clean and unclean. And so Daniel could not eat the king's food and be faithful to God. This was his conviction. Now, that led to Daniel's challenge. If you look at the second part of verse 8 and on to verse 10, how was Daniel going to meet this challenge? Well, latter part of verse 8 says, So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king, he says in verse 10. Well, Daniel came up with uh, a, uh, a proposal. The proposal started in verse 8. So Daniel sought permission. And God had granted favor in the eyes of the commander in verse 9. But the commander was still afraid. So Daniel runs by him this idea. And the commander says, no way. I've been put in charge of your well-being. And if you look terrible when I present you to the king, the king's going to have my head. Okay? Did Daniel give up? Did Daniel just pick up his bag of stuff and say, well, I'll just sit in the corner here? No, he didn't. He persevered. Daniel's perseverance is seen in verses 11 through 13. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel basically says, look, I understand your problem. So Test it for 10 days. Give, it, give us a test. Just, just 10 days. Just, that's all I ask. Just 10 days. Let us then compare what we look like with those who have eaten the regular menu. Okay? And he says, and, and if it doesn't please you, do what you have to do. 
Okay, do what you have to do. Now, as you look at these verses, as you as you look at these verses, there's some important lessons that we can all learn about how to handle a challenge at work. There are things that we can do. What are those things? First of all, Daniel was respectful. Daniel was respectful. He didn't protest. He didn't go on a hunger strike. He didn't try and gather people around and says, hey, y'all, wake up. Let's do this together. You know, he didn't go and call the, the local newspaper. He didn't go on the web and start saying bad things about the king and all that kind of stuff. He was respectful. OK, he sought permission from them. OK, now uh, and then he worked with God. God gave him favor in verse nine. He was sensitive to the spirit's leading uh, especially when it involved the people who were in charge of him. So Daniel was respectful. And so it is important that when we are challenged and we stick to our conventions, that we make sure that we are respectful to those people that we have to work with. Then Daniel was thoughtful. Daniel was thoughtful. He appreciated the fear in the heart of the commander. Commander was quite transparent, quite honest. He said, look, Daniel, I like you. You're a good guy. All of you are good guys. But if I let you do this and the results are bad, it's my neck. I'm afraid, very frankly. And so Daniel knew about that. But he was thoughtful and reasonable by making the request and giving the commander enough time to test the suggestion before Daniel's compatriots were to be presented to the king. Please test your servants for 10 days. Now, I have no idea how long before his presentation to the king that Daniel put this proposal forward. I don't know. But there had to be a reason why 10 days was given. Why not 20 days? Why not, you know, seven days? You know the magic number seven in the Bible? Why not seven days? But he didn't. He gave 10 days. And I think it was to indicate to us that he was giving a time for this thing to be worked out so that the... Uh, commander could uh, 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 get them in shape if he needed to. What does this say to us in our workplace? When our convictions are challenged, be weary of just doing the first thing that pops into your head and letting it come out of your mouth and expect God to bless it and use it. You see, what happens sometimes? We get caught in the moment, all right? What? You dare to challenge me? <laughs> you dare to challenge my convictions? And, blah, 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 you know, we get all blustery and, and we, you know, just do this and we do that. And we say, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this and we're going to do that. We never, and we don't think it through. Daniel was very thoughtful through this whole thing. He took into account the superiors, uh, the danger to the superior. And he worked out a proposal that would allow the uh, proposal to go forth and at minimal risk to the uh, commander. Perhaps what we need to do is take a step back, assess the whole situation before coming up with a plan of action. We need to be prayerful and we need to seek out wise counsel before we act. You see? It's many times people regret what they have done because they hadn't thought it through. Daniel was both respectful and Daniel was thoughtful. When you and I have our convictions challenged, 
the good thing to do, the, re- the right thing to do is to be thoughtful and reasonable when working with others. When Daniel's convictions were challenged, he did not conform or compromise. He did not go along to get along. He did not give in or give up. Rather, he was respectful and thoughtful as God led him uh, and worked in the hearts of people around him. Wow. Well, that's novel. That's new. You know, I never would have thought of that. I never thought of giving God a chance to work in someone's heart. I never thought of giving a chance of making a proposal that would that would that would be, that could be worked out. You see, I just thought I had to either give in or give up, or I just wanted to. Uh, I just have to, you know, do something drastic. No, that isn't what Daniel did. Well, how did this all turn out? How did this all turn out? Well, this will be Daniel's reward, verses fourteen through twenty-one. In verses fourteen through sixteen. We see that his appearance was rewarding. Their appearance was rewarding. Look at verse 14. So he listened to them, the commander. He listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, that's really hard to imagine, right? One group is, the one test group is eating all the banquet food. The other group are eating vegetables and water. Okay? But somehow they looked better and they looked fatter. You see, that's, the fatter part got me. All right? The, the better part, you know, I could just imagine, you know, maybe their skin, maybe, maybe their skin just glowed and their hair just shined like those cosmetic commercials on TV, you know? Maybe that's what it was. Don't know what it was. But they looked better, and they were fatter, okay? They were much healthier. And so, if you carry on there, so the overseer continued allowing Daniel and his friends to stay on vegetarian diet so they didn't have to eat the prohibited foods. Now, don't go rushing out of here and saying to yourself, Ah, I have a Bible verse for vegetarian diet, okay? That's not the point here, okay? I mean, I think God could have chosen any kind of food. He could have chosen dim sum. He could have chosen all kinds of stuff, right? But he happened to choose vegetables and water, maybe bare minimum, okay? And yet they came out looking better and fatter. And then their performance was rewarding. Look at verses 17 through 21. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So what happened here? God gave them the abilities they needed. And out of them all, no one was able to compare And they entered into the king's service. They were ten times better than everyone else. And not only that, after Nebuchadnezzar passed off the scene, 
Daniel was extended a contract to serve Cyrus, too. Wow. That is really amazing. God enabled Daniel to surpass everyone else and to become trusted confidants to King Nebuchadnezzar and King Cyrus. How might God reward us? How might God reward us? Well, the way God may reward you and I for staying firm when our convictions are challenged may not be what we expect or maybe what we want even. For example, for example, the reward may be a clear and clean conscience. A clean and clear conscience. Can you put a price tag on that? I don't think you can. But that's a mighty thing to have, a clean and clear conscience. It may be the peace that passes all understanding. Many of you sometimes tell me that you haven't slept in days, weeks, months. Why? Because you have no peace. And yet God may reward you with peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because you have stood steadfast and firm when your convictions were challenged. Your reward may be a new boss, a new job, a new company. The possibilities are limitless. Really? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I I thought I was going to be here forever. You know, I I didn't even think out of the body. I I never thought of leaving. True. May not. But that may be what God has in store for us. Back in Texas, we had a gentleman that was in our church, and he shared with me one day, he says, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to leave my job. And, and um, he's a very humble guy. He's a very honest fellow. And uh, he, he just said, the stuff that's going on there, I can't be a part of it. I can no longer sign off on this stuff. And so he turned in his resignation, and uh, he explained to the, the people, his supervisors and the bosses, why he had to leave. And they weren't very kind to him, but, that, you know, he left the company. And then after that, he had a period when uh, I guess God figured he needed some rest because he had been through so much. So he took a rest for a little while. And then he was applying for jobs and didn't hear anything. Then one day he heard from another company. And this other company was a much better company. And they hired him. And uh, so he was curious. So he asked him, he says, "Uh, I know you have a lot of applicants. I know that times are hard. Can you just sort of tell me why you hired me and and?" The, the guy that was doing the hiring said, very frankly, it was because of your character. We wanted a guy who was honest and with integrity. And so we wanted you. We were led to you and we wanted you. So he went to this other company. Far better situation. Far better uh, relationships with people because they were all on board and they were all in the same uh, category. So... Uh, What will your reward be? What will your reward be? I don't know. I don't know. But it could be a clean conscience. It could be a peace that passes all insanity. It could be a new job. I don't know. You see? You can't put God in a box because he thinks out of the box. All right? And so this becomes important. Daniel's convictions led to a challenge, which led to a powerful conclusion. Daniel and his Hebrew brothers surpassed all expectations and settled into trusted positions of great influence and impact. How much influence? How much impact? Ah, you got to come back and hear the rest of the story, all right? 
And so then you'll begin to see how God used those men with great impact and great influence. As we close this off, what are you going to take? How can I make this work? Well, the first thing you need to do is be committed to the Lord, competent, capable, and considerate. Be resolved, my friend. That's what Daniel was. He made up his mind at the front end. I will not be defiled. He knew that. First, uh, um, and he was committed to that. First Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 16, the New Living Translation. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Wow. Wow. But you have to be resolved. I have to be resolved. Now, I want to warn the, the, uh, the video person back there. I'm going to have to jump down to other verses because we're really running short of time. Perhaps there's someone out there that says to themselves, Pastor, I believed exactly as you believed many years ago. But I've gotten sucked up into the system, and I have to confess, I have, uh, I have given in sometimes. And I'm sad to say that. But after hearing your word, I really want to get back on track. What can I do? Well, in Psalms 51, verses 10 to 13, perhaps this would be your prayer. Psalms chapter 51, verses 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. It's not too late. My brother and my sister, it is not too late to hold to your convictions under God. This is an important task. When you belong to God, you should stand for God. The Lord can be trusted to work with you, but we have to make up our minds about receiving him as our Savior and Lord and following him. We've got to make that resolve in our heart. If there's no resolve, there will be no resolution. You're constantly going to be caving in. You're going to constantly be giving in and giving up. Make that resolve. When God assigns us to some place, you can count on our convictions about God and commitments to God to be challenged. Be resolved to belong to God and to stand for God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for its clear and unapologetic teaching. We pray, O oh Father, that you would use our times together around your word, around one another so that we can encourage one another. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.